Millennial Muggle, Episode 2, Pop My Cherry. Hello, I'm Kim. I'm Kira. And Kira has read the first book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. The cherry has been potted. Tell me... Tell me your deepest, darkest thoughts. (laughs) It's hard to know where to start. There's so much in this book. Um, I, yeah, I loved it. Our last episode was all about the fact that you hadn't read it and you thought your childhood was different because of it. What are you thinking about that now? Yeah, I think your mum was so right when she said it's just pure fun and, you know, pure pure fiction and fantasy. I think it's just, you know, the, the excitement of, um, you know, getting this letter and going to this, you know, magical, you know, school of wizardry, you know, all of it, reading it, I just, yeah, I could see how if you were that age reading it, you would just be so so en- enthralled and encapsulated by that whole experience and the whole journey. So I think my favourite part, I've got two favourite bits. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was the letter, trying to get to Harry. I think... That was just, you know, it's so ridiculous and over the top that it only adds to the excitement of, well, why do they want to get get onto him so badly? You know, mm. you, you're starting, your mind goes in all sorts of places, you know, from when it's it addresses Mr. Potter in the cupboard under the stairs to when, you know, his his uncle goes to all those lengths to, to stop it coming in and yeah. it says Mr. Potter in the spare room and they can't believe you know, how they know, who knows where he is. And, and I think just the most like fantastical part was all of the letters like coming out of the chimney. (laughs) You just, yeah, like the visual is just amazing. And yeah, it just builds up like, you're so excited to see what it is and why someone wants to get onto Harry so urgently. And I think that, you know, if he just received a simple letter and, you know, would it have been as exciting or, you know, Mm. um, and I think, yeah, that sort of, you know, the way that it opens up and you've got, like, all these strange people in, like, strange clothing and, you know, you're starting to – it builds this. It's like a simmering kind of, okay, something's going on and I don't know what it is. Um, And I think – yeah, I think my second favourite part was when they're rowing in the boats and they see Hogwarts for the first time. Mm -hmm. You'll get your first sight of Hogwarts in a sec, Hagrid called over his shoulder, just round this bend here. There was a loud, ooh – the narrow path had opened suddenly on the edge of a great black lake, perched atop a high mountain on the other side, its window sparkling in the starry sky, was a vast castle with many turrets and towers. No more than four to a boat, Hagrid called, pointing to a fleet of little boats sitting in the water by the shore. Harry and Ron were followed into their boat by Neville and Hermione. Everyone in, shouted Hagrid, who had a boat to himself. Right then, forward. Then the fleet of little boats moved off all at once, gliding across the lake which was as smooth as glass. Everyone was silent, staring up at the great castle overhead. Everyone was silent, staring up at the great castle overhead. It towered over them as they sailed nearer and nearer to the cliff on which it stood. I'm like looking through my notes because I made them as I read and one of the first ones I made when they kind of got to Hogwarts was like, God, it makes me miss school and it makes me (laughs) miss, you know, that really like that pure excitement and like shared experience of like whether it's just going into a brand new year level and you've got all your new books and you don't know Mm. what's in the year ahead, like that real, yeah, that excitement and the journey on the train and all of that. Like I'm probably not making sense, but those were two of like the most 
yeah, I think exciting and just pure joy of this Mm. book. And yeah, it was amazing. Great. And I think also when you're reading those, like you, you get that excitement too. And I know later on in life when I've done things and I've been lucky enough to go to different Harry Potter, like venues and, and things like that, like you get it all over again. Mum talking about going to the cafe where JK Rowling wrote the first chapter, like she was so excited and you know, that's Harry Potter. The book is a different world, but it creates a different world for you as well like even though it is fantasy and fiction like it has created such a world of excitement for us to experience and and now you're part of it <laughs> I know and I didn't find it childish I think right. the way that she writes is you know I, I on the the um copy that we've got there's one of the review quotes is this is the most appropriate comparison to Roald Dahl like yeah. you can really make that and, it, and you do get that that um feeling I guess of a Roald Dahl kind of style but obviously it's Rowling's own one entirely um so yeah I think you know um when we were reading um that first the first like page and you know they say um Mr and Mrs Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say they were perfectly normal thank you very much (laughs) you know it's most simple thing but you know exactly who's you start to see who they are straight away Mm. without even the way she describes everything's just so like vivid and Mm. just funny and yeah right all at once yeah so let's delve into harry potter and the philosopher's stone chapter one the boy who lived what were your first reactions to the dursleys i hated them (laughs) great (laughs) i hated them they were you know i remember reading this line that was like Harry thought he could never meet someone he hates as much as the Dursleys and before he meets Draco. And I remember just being like, yes, like I hate, I hated them and I hated Draco. You know, they're just, they're, yeah, you know, they're just so cruel Mm -hmm. and you just get that feeling that like, yeah, he's, he's just a kid and they're just so, Mm -hmm. and yeah, the way that the, the language again that she uses, like, you know, that. Mr. Dursley like chortled and you get this feeling like a big fat kind of just you, you know that per- sort of person like you can imagine that the banker or whatever that yeah. you know yeah so you get definitely feel you know this frustration that um Harry has to put up with so much and that definitely sets up you know the kind of person that he goes on to be mm. in the book and how he sort of no matter um like how awful they are to him that he is always the better one in it and mm. that I guess that's why everybody loves Harry Potter and why yeah. every book is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or whatever they are to come because he's yeah obviously the central character but one that you're set up to children to really look up to to mm. you know kind of learn that no matter how mean somebody is to you you, you can be the better person, I suppose. Mm. So, yeah, I thought it had some really strong messages through the way he deals with the world and sees yeah. the world. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think my favourite part of the book is, again, early on. I mean, I love the whole book. But I always remember when Hagrid, like, burst through the door to give him the letter and to give him the cake and things like that. The cake. I yeah. made a note of that. <laughs> I was like, it says, when Hagrid bought the cake for Harry, I thought I was going to cry. <laughs> Because it's just this moment that it's just a simple cake, but you're just like, you feel that it's the first 
act of love that anyone's ever done for him. Exactly. And I feel like the character of Hagrid is so, he's also so ridiculous. Like, inside was a large sticky chocolate cake with happy birthday Harry written on it in green icing. Like, just that little bit of green icing, you know that this guy's, you know, a little bit simple and, like, He's just very comfortable in himself as well. And, like, he's throughout the whole series, Hagrid is the one that is always, I guess, kind of like not a father figure but, like, a big brother figure almost, which which Harry never got, which is I think is really special. And, yeah, I love that part. I love everything to do with Hagrid. And Me too. Yeah. And when you'll see that on the screen, he's portrayed so well. Like, I, I have abstract, seen him yeah. in his character before, <laughs> yeah. which is, I'm, like, I'm a bit sad about because it would have been nice to, I guess, imagine. But I do, yeah, yeah I've definitely heard Hagrid talk and the actor and yeah. everything like that. But I think it's great, too, that Hagrid doesn't make a big fuss about anything no. either. Like, he just rode in this tiny boat to this ridiculous um, island that Mr Dursley put them on to in a desperate attempt to stop Harry's, you know, fate from happening. Mm. And Hagrid, he doesn't make a big deal of himself, I suppose. Mm. He just walks in and he says, oh, I've got the letter for you, Harry. It's not even like, isn't it weird that I'm on this island with you? It's like everything, well, yeah, this world is so ridiculous, I guess, that those things are kind of just like accepted and everyone moves on or whatever. And Yeah, he just gets on with it. Yeah, and even when Harry's like asking him all these questions, like instead of, gushing or whatever he's just like oh Harry don't ask me about that like Mm. I'll I'll tell you in time or you know I don't know yeah he's great I love him Mm. I think also a real special moment is when Hagrid tells uh well introduces the character of Voldemort through telling about Harry's sort of beginning I guess um what was your what do you remember thinking about Voldemort um yeah well uh, very early on there Hagrid when Harry's a baby, I think he, he's mm. mentioning you-know-who. And it's funny because you've got this big, like, gruff man who seems like he could take on anything, but he can't even say Voldemort's name. Like, yeah. he, when Harry says it, he goes, oh, don't, Harry, like, don't say his name. And, um, yeah, so Voldemort is, yeah, obviously a very – his presence in the book is huge, even though he's not even really in it yet, except mm. obviously for the end. Um, but I was convinced, for example, when they were in the forest and there was a hooded figure drinking the, the unicorn blood, which was horrifying. Um, I thought that was Voldemort and I thought, Mm. oh, he's just hanging out there and yet, you know, I never expected the plot twist with Quirrell and everything (laughs) like that was already like, she's got us in one book, completely believing one thing and then twisting on its head in the final Mm. chapter or two, Mm. you know? And I think, yeah, I'm excited for more of that because I you know yeah I I have no idea where it's going to go because even this first book just like completely flipped me on Mm. on my head like I and it flips you in a way you just you cannot predict like you cannot predict that character of Quirrell to essentially be two characters like you just you never think that the whole way through it's crazy it's I think you know how we're talking about the last time was a bit of a joke that I would have had nightmares if Mm. I watched it when he turns around and there's a head on the back of his head, I was like, I probably would have had some nightmares about that. Because like, that was horrifying. Even in 23, I was like, oh, like reading yeah. it, you know, when it was late at night, I was like a bit scared. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can tell he's going to be a massive force of, like, obviously a force of evil, like in the book. Mm. Yeah, for Harry. Definitely. 
So the world of Harry Potter is obviously all about magic and, you know, through this first book they're learning, like, how to conduct it with Wingardium Leviosa and things like that and just some unbelievable, like, classes and things and, you know, defence against the dark arts and whatnot. You just want to be able to be there. What was the magic like for you? Was it believable reading it? Because I know I literally thought that I could do magic like I was there would be things like um you know Alohomora when a door was locked and I would say it and I would just open it and I like it wasn't even locked but I just pretended and I was like oh magic like <laughs> there was so much of that and Sally used to do all these awful tricks on me but like you know did you did you still believe that you know magic is possible yeah I think one of the things and uh, something again that I, I wrote down was that um Rowling makes it believable because not only does she talk about spells and you know these things she also backs it up with like a whole world of like literature and all these mm-hmm. things like whenever they talk about certain spells or whatever you know Hermione will be like oh yes I looked that up in the history of magic or whatever yeah. um you know there's always like she can tell she's taken so much time to build layer upon layer upon layer yeah I just think she sets it up so well that it very well could be a whole mm-hmm. history of magic your mind goes to so many places when you're a kid like your imagination I can just Im- imagine being little and going like oh I could be magic because you know we believe or well, I believed in fairies and yeah. all those things you know and and yeah even at this age like I still found it believable mm. I mean I know that sadly I don't think it's real <laughs> but you I mean, don't know that's exactly. the whole thing is I'm still like I just maybe I just was I'm a muggle you know <laughs> And I reckon a good point that you made in the first episode, but before we read any of it, is you talked about, like, the blending of our world and that world. Mm. You know, it's not like a full-blown Narnia situation where they step through, you know, this secret wardrobe and then that world is magic. It's like they intertwine, like, the evening news that talks Mm -hmm. about all the owls and, like, the muggle world and the magic world are are the same one. Yeah. You know, it's just that they go on this train to a place where – the magic is accepted like in an institution Mm. but it's like you know when they're like there's goblins in London like yeah she doesn't make it an offshoot of London like she doesn't made some kind of you know fictional world entirely like we we hear about yeah the the bank of London or Mm. you know the whole city of London and that if you just go into a tavern and you Mm. just have to know which bricks to press then you'll get to the Mm. like and yeah I think actually Diagon Alley is one of the most amazing chapters Mm. because of the like intricate descriptions and like you know just seeing this big like alley that's weaving all the way up and there's all these like magical folk like running around and shops to buy your your, uh, cauldron and your wand Mm. and yeah it's just like yeah so yeah long long explanation to say that I think because because she blends the magic world with good you know good old London you don't really know what's Mm. real and what's not Mm. and the fact that someone like Hermione for example who says well you can tell my parents but they're just dentists or whatever because she comes from a muggle family that that would also have made kids be like well I'm from a muggle family (laughs) I could be Hermione like Yeah. yeah I could be the exception to the rule I don't have to you know had she made it exclusively that you had to be of wizard ancestry, well, that would have cut out all of her readers because, mm. well, in this world, people's parents aren't magical or whatever. So That we know of. That we know <laughs> of. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. 
I think one of the beauties with this whole book is that it is so funny. You know how you just commented about Roald Dahl and, and that sort of style. Like it is that almost, I guess, English type of writing, like modern writing. Even the names of people are funny, you know. Yeah. For you, reading it, and obviously you reading it at an older age, you would have picked up on some of, you know, the probably the more comedic things in it than you don't get as a youngster. Mm. Um, what were your funniest moments? Well, I love the way that she would, like, show not tell in the writing Mm. in terms of, like, she would never leave any plot holes, like, undone Mm. in a way that, like, for example, when they're at the Quidditch match and Malfoy and his friends are just pissing Ron off so much that he ends up, like, jumping over the the seat and they're all brawling, Mm. like, and then you go back to the the Quidditch match and then at the end Harry's getting congratulated and then she puts in a line that's like and he looked over and saw um Ron cheering with like a blood nose yeah and it's like that that closed the loop on like that fight but we didn't have to sit there and read five sentences about the ins and outs of the fight and then Mm. Ron got a blood nose like I know it sounds like a silly example but there was all those little moments where you know um Longbottom's toad just jumps out somewhere and you're like oh yeah he lost his toad like three chapters ago and she just like puts those little funny like um like breadcrumbs I guess and Mm. you you remember yeah just it's just such a funny way and like I find Ron Weasley to be the funniest (laughs) character like He's hands down so far my favourite. <laughs> He's just so funny. And one of the funniest moments that I act, like, actually laughed was when um, the, that he when he found the, the mirror, when Harry found it and he saw his family in it and it was this really deep, poignant moment that, like, when Dumbledore reveals to him, well, it shows you your deepest desires, that you know, this little boy, Harry, just saw all his ancestors. But when Ron looked in it, he saw himself, like, by himself, you know, with the Quidditch trophy. And Ron, though, was staring transfixed at his image. Look at me, he said. Can you see all your family standing around you? No, I'm alone, but I'm different. I look older and I'm head boy. What? I, I am, I'm... I'm wearing the badge like Bill used to, and I'm holding the house cup and the Quidditch cup. I'm Quidditch captain too. (laughs) When, like, Dumbledore says, because it shows you your desires, and then you think about what Ron's was, like, I just pissed myself because I was like, (laughs) he is so funny. And, like, and you get all those little, like, the, the Weasley kids all in general, like, they're just a bunch of, like, they're always in trouble or mm. there's always something going on with them. Like I just – I wrote one down that was um, Ron sighs and he goes, I wonder what it's like to have a peaceful life. Like, <laughs> it's just so funny. Like, you know, this little kid just like, oh, you know, yeah. it just has the most like hilarious um, realisations. And the dynamic between him and Hermione, like the thunderous looks he gives her and like, mm. you know – he just cannot deal with her crap and mm. but he always ends up doing whatever she says anyway like yeah. he'll be like Hermione we don't need to study we've already studied and then a few sentences later it's like they were all studying in the <laughs> library because she always gets her way yeah so yeah I find like their dynamic hilarious um I feel like they're gonna date <laughs> so don't don't uh, give it away but I'm starting to think because they hate each other it would seem obvious that Harry and Hermione should be together but I feel like It'll be Ron and Hermione when they get older. Mm. That is my prediction. Mm. Oh, my favourite 
like image. The whole thing was Dumbledore had swapped his pointed wizard's hat for a flowered bonnet and was <laughs> chuckling merrily at a joke Professor Flitwick had just read him. I'm like, Dumbledore in a flowered bonnet. <laughs> Amazing. And when they're, like, with all the magic that they've got, like, they flick a wand and a whole great feast, you know, appears. Um, I remember writing down, like, the scene where Hagrid is, like, carrying this, like, a hefty Christmas tree, like, by himself into the great hall. Mm. And I'm like, all the magic in the world and Hagrid still has to, like, carry the tree in by himself. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you may not think I'm pretty, but don't judge on what you see. I'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me. You can keep your bowlers black, your top hat sleek and tall, for I'm the Hogwarts sorting hat and I can cap them all. There's nothing hidden in your head the sorting hat can't see. So try me on and I will tell you where you ought to be. You might belong in Gryffindor, where dwell the brave at heart. Their staring nerve and chivalry set Gryffindors apart. You might belong in Hufflepuff, where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. Or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you've already mined, where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Or perhaps in Slytherin, you'll make your real friends. Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. So put me on, don't be afraid, and don't get in a flap. You're in safe hands, though I have none, for I'm a thinking cap. So good. So, Ravenclaw, you were sorted into last week. Mm. Tell me your feelings now. Yes, so I felt like Ravenclaw wasn't mentioned that much in this book, so I wasn't really, like, I guess I didn't get much of an insight, but I think you definitely get the feeling that Gryffindor is the one to be in because your main characters are all in it (laughs) and... Yeah, it's sort of like they mention Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff in passing, but Mm. Slytherin and Gryffindor are the, you know, main ones. But then I was sort of thinking about how, like, when, you know, they find out that Snape is going to go past Fluffy and get the Philosopher's Stone, um, and they go go after Snape, like, in Mm. the middle of the night, I was like, no way I wouldn't do that. So I don't think I am a Gryffindor because I don't think I would have done it. Like, I think I would have just been like, I don't want to get in trouble. Mm. You know, if I had been Harry and been through the childhood that he'd gone through, I would be like, I'm going to do anything to stay here because what what happened was, like, where I came from was horrible. Mm. And so I think that is funny because as much as you'd like to think that you're the hero character, I actually don't know that I would be. I think mm. I would almost be like... I ain't doing that. <laughs> so fun. It's funny. Like I can't wait to re- like read more about Ravenclaw and see mm. like what that team's all about. But I'm glad that I'm in what seems to be a nice house. Like mm. Slytherin. No offense to all the Slytherins out there, <laughs> but they, you know, aren't a nice bunch. So mm. yeah, I don't know yet how I feel about it. I feel like I need to to read a bit more. To read a bit more, definitely, mm. definitely. But when you say that as well, for me. So I was sorted into Gryffindor and I totally, like, made myself in Gryffindor. Yeah. Like, I did Harry, like, I probably wouldn't be in, but I was like, there's no way I'm not in Gryffindor. <laughs> and even when I was reading it, like, for me, the character that I would probably associate myself most with hasn't been introduced. Well, she has been, but not properly. And she's a Gryffindor that will come in later and we'll talk about it then, um, why I think that she's probably most, like, who I would be like. But... 
Neville Longbottom is in Gryffindor. How? <laughs> How is he? Because he stands up to his friends. Like, it's so, yeah. I think, even, like, in Gryffindor, you know, and it's, like, in anything you go into, like, you're in a group or whatever and you think these people, like, are your friends, they're exactly like you, whatever it is, but there's always someone who's, like, a little bit different and I think, like, mm. that's great that there's that character of Neville who is completely removed. See, I'm probably know, Neville. Yeah. I feel like he's the closest to, like, yeah, I'd like to think I would be, I would stand up for my friends and all of that, but, mm. yeah, sneaking around the halls at night with that, like, Peeves and all those, like, creepy <laughs> ghosts and Mrs Norris, like, to know from me. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> oh. not. Snape finished calling the names and looked up at the class. His eyes were black like Hagrid's, but they had none of Hagrid's warmth. They were cold and empty and made you think of dark tunnels. Snape. <laughs> oh, I have very mixed feelings about Snape. Okay. Um, I have love for him because I know it's Alan Rickman. <laughs> love that man. <laughs> But um, the whole way through, and it was funny because, um, as you guys might know, Kim and I lived together. So I was, you know, reading the book on the couch and going, stuff Snape. Like, he's the worst character. And Kim would just kind of go, yeah. And you could tell she was, like, you were, like, hiding something. I know. I couldn't. I I just, And so I spent the whole book just hating him. He was taking points off them and picking Harry out. And, you know, I thought he... Put, did the dark magic on on Harry's um, broomstick during the Quidditch match, and you know he was this just yeah sweeping dark force that made Harry on edge, and therefore you you were on edge. And I was absolutely baffled when it turned out to be Quirrell because mm. everything that set it up was that you know he followed Snape into the forest and saw him talking to Quirrell, and it all made sense that. He would be um, trying to get his hands on the stone. And I guess to then find out the whole time that he was really trying to help Harry, I felt so bad. I was like, I, you know, I hated him. And when when Dumbledore, um, you know, says that, well, there was just beef with your dad, like with Harry's dad, and that's why, you know, he probably is standoffish. Yeah, I think... um, yeah, that whole, like, journey, I guess, is so clever because she obviously, like, leads you into thinking something about someone and then flips the whole thing on its head. Mm. So, but then even at the end of the day, like, he isn't nice to no. Harry and, and the kids. Like, he he's still, yeah, a very negative presence. So mm. I, I feel mixed feelings about him because, yeah, he's still horrible. Yeah. But to think that whole time he was trying to protect them, it's like, well, you can be a bit nicer about it, you know? Mm. And yeah, so, you, but you definitely, I don't trust him still. Like, mm. he's in Slytherin, he's the head of Slytherin, and, yeah, we don't know, like, we know that Voldemort was in Slytherin too, and I don't know enough about who went over to his side when he was, you know, mm. the when he got all those people to to join him and that sort of thing, so... Yeah, very mixed feelings, but loved that that plot twist. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And speaking of, you know, you do find a little bit about Harry's parents and what went on, obviously, um, before Harry was born with Voldemort and things like that. What's your... 
there's not much being said in this book, only mm. the bare minimum, but what's sort of your take on the history of Harry Potter's world? Yeah, I don't know, actually. I mean, yes, you don't really find out much about his parents um, and the first time you ever really see you see them in the sense is in the mirror. Mm. Um, and so I actually have no idea what happened except that I think obviously when, um, you know, I think Voldemort is like that fallen angel kind of image in terms of you do hear that, that biblical story about how like the devil was made, that he was a, an angel that went to the dark side and mm. brought people over with him. And so I imagine that, um, you know, his parents were a force against that. But I find it, I don't know, the fact that he was able to walk into their house and seemingly just kill them without a fight is what it sounds like now, is I don't, I don't understand, mm. yeah, What's obviously I don't know what's happened before that. So, yeah, it's still a mystery as to what really happened and everyone keeps saying, oh, in time, you'll find out. So It's I so funny know. just talking about it now because I keep remembering different things about yeah. what happens. Like, obviously I won't say it, but there's so – like, even just before I was just like, oh, my God, you have no idea about the Deathly Hallows and that doesn't spoil oh. anything. But, like, that whole thing, like, I just went, oh, my God, you have no – you know, like, there's yeah. so – there's so many layers to this that's built on before the book was made. Like, I, mm. it, I just want to, like, rack J.K. Rowling's head and just be like, how did you come up? Like, did you write so much before to then be able to create this? Because it just feels like, yeah, it's an it's an unbelievable world that's built on, like, 50 to 100 years before. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think my general sense of um, his parents is that they were, like, the best wizards. They mm. were, like, the good guys and whatever happened mm. for them to – because everyone, when they all meet him in the tavern and in Diagon Alley or, you know, all the whispers about, oh, it's Harry Potter, mm. yeah, I obviously get the sense that they were the heroes mm. of Hogwarts in their time mm. before Harry. Definitely. What do you think of the actual Philosopher's Stone? What do you What do you think about the resolution that came to? Yeah, I think I was a bit stupid because <laughs> – even when the thing was stolen from Gringotts and um, um, all those things, well, the title is A Philosopher's Stone. Like, mm. I should have put two and two together and been like, it's probably the stone. But I had no idea. I was like, what's in a small package? I don't know. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think it's, in, like, incredible the way that she weaves in this mysterious Nicholas Flamel and you <laughs> Flamel? <laughs> revealing straight away what it was she builds all that suspense with who this mysterious person is and then you know he ends up being um yeah the well the holder of the stone and who who had the eternal life and all of that sort of thing so it yeah it's an like an interesting concept yeah it seems like that big kind of like if it got in the wrong hands like how much of a disaster mm. and like how these three kids basically stop that from happening because if Krill had got it like we wouldn't have all the other books because Voldemort would have had the eternal life and mm. and the gold and the riches and yeah you can only imagine how the world would have gone mm. 
so then she also opens up all those possibilities that you can think about, like what the world could have been like if he had got his hands on it. Mm. Yeah. It's so funny because re when I, I remember reading it and watching the movies and Nicholas Flamel to me. <laughs> Flamel. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was just a name. Like you, I kind of, because I, I was so young, like I couldn't put two and two together. I didn't really understand it. And Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is, um, I think it's either a trilogy or it may be four movies. It's actually come before Harry Potter. It's set 50 years before Harry Potter. And it talks about Nicholas Flamel. Like, you meet Nicholas Flamel. Oh. And when I met him and I re-went back and then watched Philosopher's Stone, like, that's when I, like, worked out exactly what you just said, that, you know, like, if he had – if the whole point of this character of Nicholas Flamel was that he created something that could potentially, like, unlock um, Voldemort's life again, essentially, and – but to me as a youngster, I was like, the stone's got nothing to do with it. Like, yeah. you know, like, I just – he was kind of like, at the time, like, I didn't, yeah, I was just like, why, this is just an extra character that you don't understand. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, another part of the beauty of Harry Potter is you go back and you read it and you take something else from it. And, like, mm. now I understand the importance of Nicholas Flamel and, and, and the Philosopher's Stone and how it does then set up for Harry Potter coming into second year at Hogwarts because... He's kind of riding a bit of a high horse, having mm. just, like, defeated Voldemort, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I think the, like, creepiest part of it all was when they're in the forest, mm. when they're um, on detention. And I just remember writing, like, the centaurs are cooked. Yeah. <laughs> they are so weird. Like, yeah. they talk in, like, riddles and, like, mm. just, like, how Hagrid's, like, hey, what's going on? And, and one of them's like, look at the moon. And then the other one is like, look at the star. Like, you know, they're, they're not even answering his question. And then obviously when the um, when it's Quirrell, like, drinking the unicorn blood and all mm. of that and that weird interaction between, um, I can't remember the name of the one that saved him and the mm. other ones, you don't know what, what side they're on. And, yeah, you get the sense that, like, she's obviously giving us little, like, yeah, again, like breadcrumbs that there's way more to this world than we can mm. imagine because even in the forest next door there's like these weird, yeah, mm. centaurs running around that speak in riddles. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just... I'm trying not to smile because I love the centaurs and they're, they've got a sub-story that is wicked. Like, it's... Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, I can't! No, you can't! <laughs> It's going to be so good when we get to the end. <laughs> so what was your favourite part of the book? I'm, I mentioned before when you meet Hagrid, I just love his whole character. I love his own evolution. Um, yeah, he's great. You just want a Hagrid kind of in your life. I love Quidditch. Um, I think that's probably why I pride myself on being a Gryffindor is because they're the best at Quidditch and I love it. And the character that I think I most like who comes in later is a Quidditch player. And so um, I love the description of the game. I love how it's so fast and one move can change it all. Like it's kind of like no other sport in the sense like, you know, if you talk about like AFL, for instance, like there's no one move you could ever do that would completely upset the game. But with this, you catch the golden snitch, end game, you win. Mm. So I de like I just love it. I love um, – 
you know, later on the other descriptions of Quidditch are things like they're in the rain and, and they're zooming around. Um, and I also think it's a really awesome subplot um, to Hogwarts and to Harry himself because I think he really finds himself in Quidditch and, you know, he's come into this whole school and he's the new celebrity and and they sort of, you know, he stands out from the crowd and he just happens to be good at Quidditch and it's obviously, you know, in his blood and things like that. But when I think he's just like, well, this is my connection to my, like my father, this is like, there's all these different connections and the greater game of Quidditch plays so much in, in the whole series. And that first game, you know, with Lee Jordan commentating, like, who's yeah. just so exuberant and over the top. And, and McGonagall keeps like, you know, yeah. yelling at him because he's <laughs> really biased and doesn't exactly. want Slytherin to win. And it starts off with things like, um, you know, like the fight that we mentioned. Like, there's so many different things, and, and, and everyone's I, getting around it. Yeah. It's like you, that ent- like excitement you have before a game. Yeah. And I think for me, one of the things that makes it even more exciting is there's a very real chance of like almost dying. Like, yeah. I remember, you know, them going, and it's even so much fun just reading that whole, um, you know, part where they're explaining the rules to him, mm. and you're learning. You know, even that, she just sets up this whole new game yeah. and goes through all the rules and then you're invested in, like, the game and, yeah. you know, before the, the matches when, he like, Harry's nervous and doesn't know what's going to happen, like, you're nervous mm. and, like, anticipating it. For me, the description of Lee Jordan and him being, like, another point for Slytherin, you know, yeah. like, it's so <laughs> funny and you, it's that so biased and that's, you know, like, as you you'll get through it and that whole bit sets you up to love Gryffindor and to hate Slytherin and 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 to love Harry and to feel good that he caught the golden snitch. Like, of course he did. He's the chosen one. Like, yeah. it's so, it, yeah, it's great. I, I love Quidditch. And it just, and I was so relieved when he got on the broomstick and it was just came, it mm. came naturally to him because mm. so much wasn't. Like, he didn't know magic. He was mm. bewildered and it was just like that, yes moment when he got on the broom and just up. flew yeah yeah up up and it went. yeah exactly anyway you know and he was bewildered too like he had no idea yeah you know he'd been this boy for so long that didn't fit in anywhere and suddenly mm. he's he's got something you know and um and even at the end you know like going to get the philosopher's stone and there's the challenge with the broom like mm. with the keys and everything like that's also very scary like all the cuts and and he gets it and he gets to go in and it's great. So Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, book two. The blurb says, Harry Potter is a wizard. He is in his second year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Little does he know that this year will be just as eventful as the last. Dot, dot, dot. That really doesn't give me anything. <laughs> doesn't give me anything. Well, to, well, a Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> Not to be, um, well, I assume it's another, you know, secret chamber that is somewhere in Hogwarts because you get the sense that no matter how much you move around Hogwarts, there's always something new, like mm. somewhere that you you never thought. You know, I remember a line in the first book where it's like they'd finally um, worked out how to get from their dorm to the Great Hall without getting lost. So you get yeah. this sense that it's this huge this vast um, castle that has so many secret doors and, mm. and you know, um, secrets in it. So I assume they find another 
um, thing that they're not allowed, like a restricted off-limits mm. thing in Hogwarts that they're not allowed to go to. Mm. I can tell you that this is probably my favourite book. Okay. And it's probably my favourite movie as well. <laughs> like, I just love it. So I'll give you my favourite bit, and it's a bit long because it starts and stops, but bear with me. Okay. What's the matter, said Harry. She's, she's sent me a howler, said Rod faintly. You better open it, Ron, said Neville in a timid whisper. It'll be worse if you don't. My gran sent me one once, and I ignored it, and he gulped. It was horrible. <laughs> Harry looked from their petrified faces to the red envelope. What's a howler, he said. But Ron's whole attention was fixed on, that, on the letter, which had begun to smoke at the corners. Open it, Neville urged. It'll be over in a few minutes. Ron stretched out a shaky hand, eased the envelope from Errol's beak and slid it open. Neville stuffed his fingers in his ears. A split second later, Harry knew why. He thought for a moment he had, it had exploded. A roar of sound filled the huge hall, shaking dust from the ceiling. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I love that whole like feeling that they're always going to like get in trouble. Like they're just mm. kids, right? They're just trying to navigate their way through without getting in too much trouble from the adults. And it's funny because when I was talking about how maybe I'm not a Gryffindor because I probably wouldn't have done all the things they said, all the way through I was like, just tell Dumbledore. <laughs> He'll fix it, you know? And you can yeah. just see them taking matters into their own hands. And, you know, they I guess they do try to tell, you know, McGonagall and they don't, believe them and it's that yeah I'm always just like tell the adults yeah. <laughs> and it also made me realize that I wish I chose my chosen animal as an owl and not a cat because <laughs> owls are so much cooler <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely definitely but there's a great cat that comes in so okay you might be saved <laughs> <laughs> all right well I'm about to embark on book two book two Thank you all again for those who are still listening. And Thanks, uh, Mum. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mum and Dad. Thanks, Brianna. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. This has been a KK Media production. If you like what you heard, follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter via KK Media.